Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about cerebral palsy. And if you want to follow along with written notes on this topic, you can follow along at zerodefinals.com slash cerebral palsy or in the neurology section of the Zero to Finals pediatrics book. So let's get straight into it. Cerebral palsy is the name given to the permanent neurological problems that result from damage to the brain around the time of birth. It's not a progressive condition, however the nature of the symptoms and the problems may vary over time during growth and development. There is huge variation in the severity and the types of symptoms in children with cerebral palsy, ranging from completely wheelchair-bound and dependent on others for all activities of daily living, to para-Olympic athletes with only subtle problems with coordination or mobility. Let's go through the causes of cerebral palsy. These causes can be thought of as antenatal, perinatal or postnatal. Antenatal causes are things like maternal infections and trauma during pregnancy. Perinatal causes are things like birth asphyxia or a lack of oxygen to the brain during birth and preterm birth. Postnatal causes are things like meningitis, severe neonatal jaundice, and head injury. There's a few types of cerebral palsy that you need to be aware of. Spastic cerebral palsy refers to hypertonia or increased tone and reduced function that results from damage to the upper motor neurons. Dyskinetic cerebral palsy refers to problems controlling muscle tone with hypertonia and hypotonia causing athetoid movements and oromotor problems. This is the result of damage to the basal ganglia in the brain. Ataxic cerebral palsy refers to problems with coordinated movement, resulting from damage to the cerebellum. And mixed cerebral palsy refers to a mix of spastic, dyskinetic and or ataxic features. Spastic cerebral palsy is also known as pyramidal cerebral palsy and dyskinetic cerebral palsy is also known as athetoid cerebral palsy or extrapyramidal cerebral palsy. There are a few patterns of spastic cerebral palsy to be aware of. Monoplegia refers to a single limb being affected by the condition. Hemiplegia refers to one side of the body being affected. Diplegia refers to four limbs being affected, but mostly the legs. And quadriplegia refers to four limbs being affected more severely, often with seizures, speech disturbance and other impairments. Let's talk about the presentation. It's difficult to predict the extent of cerebral palsy or even whether it will occur based on the events in the perinatal period. Children at risk of developing cerebral palsy, such as those patients with hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy, need to be followed up to identify any signs and symptoms that develop. The signs and symptoms of cerebral palsy will become more evident during development, with failure to meet milestones, increased or decreased muscle tone, generally or in specific limbs, a hand preference below 18 months of age is a key sign to remember for your exams, problems with coordination, speech or walking, feeding or swallowing problems, and learning difficulties. Let's talk about neurological examination in a child with cerebral palsy. You can gain a lot of information from a child about their gait. 
If they have a hemiplegic or a diplegic gait, this indicates an upper motor neuron lesion. A broad-based gait or an ataxic gait indicates a cerebellar lesion. A high-stepping gait indicates foot drop or a lower motor neuron lesion. A waddling gait indicates pelvic muscle weakness due to myopathy. And an antalgic gait or a limp indicates localized pain. Let's go through some of the key differences on examination between upper motor neurone problems and lower motor neurone problems. Remember that cerebral palsy causes upper motor neurone problems. When you inspect the child, in an upper motor neurone problem, there will be muscle bulk that's preserved, so they'll have decent muscle bulk. But with a lower motor neurone problem, there'll be reduced muscle bulk with fasciculations of the muscles. When you examine the tone, upper motor neurone problems will give hypertonia with a high level of tone, and lower motor neurone problems will give hypotonia with reduced tone. When you examine the power, there will be a slight reduction in power with upper motor neurone problems, but a dramatically reduced power in lower motor neurone problems. And then when you examine their reflexes, a patient with upper motor neurone problems will have brisk reflexes, and lower motor neurone problems will give reduced reflexes. Patients with cerebral palsy may have a hemiplegic or a diplegic gait. This gait is caused by increased muscle tone and spasticity in the legs. The leg will be extended with plantar flexion of the feet and the toes. This means they have to swing their leg around in a large semicircle when moving their leg from behind them to in front. There isn't enough space underneath them for them to swing their extended leg in a straight line from back to front, so they have to swing it out to the side. They will have signs of an upper motor neuron lesion with good muscle bulk, increased tone, brisk reflexes and slightly reduced power, although the power may be normal. Look for athetoid movements that indicate extrapyramidal or basal ganglia involvement. Also test for coordination to look for cerebellar involvement. A quick Tom tip for you, get used to assessing and recognizing the patterns of upper and lower motor neuron lesions. Cerebral palsy is a perfect condition for examiners to bring to the OSCEs because the signs are reliable and the patients are stable. It's worth remembering the differential diagnosis of an upper motor neuron lesion in a child, which is cerebral palsy, acquired brain injury, or a tumor. Let's talk about the complications and associated conditions with cerebral palsy. Patients may also suffer with learning disability, epilepsy, kyphoscoliosis, muscle contractions, hearing and vision loss, and gastroesophageal reflux. Finally, let's talk about management of cerebral palsy. Cerebral palsy is a permanent condition with problems that are lifelong. It cannot be cured, but there are many ways to manage the symptoms and maximize the function. The focus of management is supporting the patient to achieve a fulfilled and independent life wherever possible. Whenever you're asked in an exam how you would manage a complex condition such as cerebral palsy, the answer should always start with management will involve a multidisciplinary team approach. Physiotherapy is used to stretch and strengthen the muscles, maximize function and prevent muscle contractures. 
Occupational therapy is used to help patients manage their everyday activities, such as getting dressed and using the bathroom. Occupational therapists will be able to teach the child techniques to perform tasks despite their disability. They can also make adaptations and supply equipment, for example, rails for assistance or by fitting a hoist for a patient who is entirely wheelchair-bound. Speech and language therapy can be helpful for speech and swallowing. When swallowing prevents them from meeting their nutritional requirements, they may require an NG tube or a PEG tube to be fitted. Dieticians can help ensure they meet their nutritional requirements. Some children may require PEG feeding through a port on their abdomen that gives direct access to the stomach. Orthopedic surgeons can perform procedures to release contractures or to lengthen tendons, which we call tenotomy. Pediatricians will regularly see the child to follow them up, monitor their growth and development, and to optimize their medications. The medications may involve muscle relaxants, such as baclofen for muscle spasticity and contractures, anti-epileptic drugs if they suffer with seizures, and glycopyronium bromide for excessive drooling. Social workers will be involved to help with benefits and social support. And charities and support groups provide opportunities to connect with others affected by cerebral palsy and to learn and share information on the condition. So thanks for listening to this episode on cerebral palsy. A big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast. If you found the podcast helpful and you want written notes on this topic and all the other topics, head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of the Zero to Finals Pediatrics book. You can also find full audiobook versions of the books on Audible and you can find notes, videos, illustrations and questions on the Zero to Finals website at zerodefinals.com. And I hope you tune in for the next episode which will be on squint.